Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, visit therockonline.org. And now a message from The Rock of Gainesville. Amen. Man, I love you guys. I ain't even started preaching yet and I already like you. Amen, amen, amen. Well, welcome to The Rock of Gainesville. We're glad you're here. If you're in the auditorium, welcome, welcome, welcome. If you're watching online, obviously it's uh, really cool to have you in our house that particular way. Thank you, Pastor George and Pastor Suzanne, for the opportunity to share the word today. We love you guys. We miss you big time. Uh, looking forward to having you back real, real, real soon. But thank you for the opportunity to share the word with these wonderful people today. Amen. Well, thank God. Thank God for God. All right? Just thank God for God. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Here's what I want to talk about today. Uh, I, I basically want to focus on a particular word. It is a word that I have heard multiple times in numerous conversations over the past two or three months. It keeps, keeps coming up over and over and over again as I've talked to different people. The word that I keep hearing is this word right here, oh, yeah. chaos. Yes. Probably, I would say three or four times in just the past couple of weeks, what I have heard in my conversations with people are statements like, wow, we are just living in chaotic days, Pastor Ron. This thing that's going on right now, it's just, it's chaos. Uh, I met with someone that I love dearly, a young believer that I've been discipling now for about a year, and what came out of him was, how can things like this happen in these days right now, Pastor Ron? It's just chaotic to me. And as I started listening to multiple conversations and kept hearing this word over and over and over again, it caused me to kind of stop a little bit and think, and what I realized is the voice that I'm hearing from you and the voice that I'm hearing from multiple people concerning the chaos of the day is completely accurate. It, it's chaotic in culture. How many of you would agree with Pastor Ron? It is chaotic in culture right now. It is chaotic on Capitol Hill. There is legislation on Capitol Hill right now that has the ability to literally unravel the moral fabric of America. It's just a crazy, crazy day. It's it's a chaotic day in even the Christian community. There have been three or four things that have taken place in the Christian community over the past couple of months. And again, I'm, I'm asking myself, how does that take place? Now, guys, I'm not here to, to uh, throw judgmental stones, so I'm not even going to go down those roads. But I think all of you will stop and agree with me for just a second. There is, even in the Christian community... There's this chaos that we, we seem to continue to face over and over and over again. It's just a chaotic time. Now, what I want to talk to you about, though, is this right here. Character in chaos. Character in chaos. You see, guys, I know and I see and understand how the world is dealing with this chaotic day. What I want to know is how are we going to deal with this chaotic day. As an ambassador of God's kingdom, as a representative of Jesus Christ, how are you and I going to deal with the chaos 
that we're seeing in the world today. So I want to deal with character, our character, our spiritual character in this chaotic day that we're living in. Now today, I'm going to use that wonderful story. How many of you like the story of Esther? Come on now. I'm going to use that wonderful story of Esther as a backdrop. And then next week, I'm going to come back and use a segment of Moses' life, probably more toward the end of his life, and talk about character in chaos during a particular segment in Moses' life. Because what I want to show you and I is what happens to us and how character, I'm sorry, how chaos affects us if we don't deal with it the right way. And that happened to Moses in the latter stages of his life. So today we're going to talk about the book of Esther. Now, real quickly, the day of Esther, Israel was in chaos. I mean, come on, guys, we're in Babylonian captivity. Things are crazy. And, and just it's, it's literally uh, going nuts during the time of Esther and Israel, the nation of Israel. And Pastor Jamie made a statement last week. Come on and give it up for my man, Dr. Jamie Chong Yu. Home run, grand slam, out of the park, hall of fame. You know, last Sunday, I gave him my notes. And I said, it's all yours because I ain't following that. Great job. It's your fault. But he made a statement last week that was pertinent to then and now. He said that what uh, they want to do today, listen to me now, they want to kill the message. That's right. They want to kill the message. Well, during Esther's day, they not only wanted to kill the message, they wanted to kill the messenger. They wanted to obliterate a nation. They wanted to wipe out, totally wipe out a people. You know what I find interesting though, guys? Come on now. They have been trying to kill this message for 2,000 years, and they have failed miserably. Why have they failed miserably? Because when heaven and earth will pass away, the Word of God is still going to be standing. So they may want to try to kill the message or the messenger. They're going to fail miserably, but that's what was going on in Esther's day. Israel was at a really, really crazy place. Now, I want to show you four different character traits as we look at the context of the book of Esther. Here it is, the context of Esther, four different character, tra character traits. Number one, the corruption of the king. How many of you know chaos, as we see it even today, chaos will breed corruption. It'll breed a nastiness. It'll breed a vile temperament that we're seeing even in the society that we're living in. So just like in Esther's day, there's also that corruption that we're seeing in a very chaotic day. But then there's also the conviction of Mordecai. Second character trait, the conviction of Mordecai. You know what, guys? As we find ourselves, and we've talked a lot about this lately. We've said this on different levels and in different ways. As we are living in the day that we are living in, you and I, as ambassadors of God's kingdom, have to make a very, very serious choice. Am I going to be moved by the voice of culture, or am I going to be moved by the voice of God? What's going to move me? 
I spoke a prophetic word over our house back last October, and I said, there is a time coming right now to where we have to quiet all the voices. We got to shut the mouths of all the voices, the different areas they're coming from. And, you know, Elijah, how many of you like Elijah? Isn't he cool? Well, me and John think he's cool. How about you? Isn't he cool? But you know what, guys? Elijah found himself in a place of chaos. He's, and, he, and why is he in this place of chaos? Because he's dealing with all kinds of voices. He's dealing with the voice of Ahab. He's dealing with the voice of Jezebel. He's dealing with the voice of the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel. Look, they looked at Elijah. They, the voices of the prophets of Baal looked at Elijah and said, if your God is real, tell him to show up. Right. And he did. Yeah, he did, didn't he? <laughs> How many of you would agree there is a voice in culture today that would say the same thing? If your God is real, prove it, baby. Well, sit back and watch and watch the evidence of my God show up in power and might. So Elijah found himself, you know what? I gotta, can I keep going with Elijah for just a second? Sitting by the brook at Kareth in a place of chaos, sitting by the brook at Kareth, he's getting fed by ravens. Some scholars say he was literally borderline in a state of depression. And what happened? He quieted the voices of the day. God came along and said this, the voice is not in the thunder. It's not in the earthquake. It's not in the lightning. It's in the still small voice of God. But in order for me to hear that still small voice, I've got to quiet, come on, say it out loud, quiet the voices. So the conviction of Mordecai. Number three, the third character trait is the manipulation of Haman. Look, when I'm in a chaotic state, I'm going to do everything I can, or try anyway, to manipulate my circumstances because I don't like them. So I'm going to try to manipulate my surroundings, my actions, and the actions of people around me because I'm not really jazzed about what's going on. And then lastly, there's corruption, there's conviction, there's manipulation. The fourth character trait that we're going to spend some time on is the courage of Esther. A little lady, a little girl, if I can put it that way, that stood face to face with the opposition of the day, stood toe-to-toe in battle and in fighting with the chaotic swing of society and stood there toe-to-toe, didn't back down, but out of courageous boldness, stood there and said, if I perish, I perish. Courage. Guys, let me tell you something. One of the things I love about that is Here's this little girl, this little lady willing to literally look at a, at a day of chaos and say, bring it on, baby. Bring it on, baby. And you know what, guys? Sometimes we're, we're finding ourselves in a fight. We have to exercise that courage. And a, in a day of chaos, we're having to fight a little bit. And you know what? That's why they call it spiritual warfare, by the way. Amen. That's why they call it fighting the good fight of faith. And you know what? Sometimes as I fight the good fight of faith, I'm going to take some licks. I'm going to get hit. I'm going to get pushed back. But you know what? As I told the people on a Wednesday night a couple of weeks ago, 
as a warrior of God's kingdom, there's only two positions. I'm either standing or I'm getting back up. There's only two positions. And so sometimes I might take a hit or two, but I'm going to keep on fighting. Come on now. I'm not going to retreat. Come on, baby. I'm not going to retreat. You know what? My little grandson, Levi, played in a basketball tournament a couple of weeks ago. And he plays on a pretty good team. He plays on a pretty good team. And they, they won their first game by a rather large margin. Now, now, listen to this. They won their first game by a rather large margin. The tournament director comes to his coach and says, we're not going to let you play your next two games. You beat that team too bad. So you have to forfeit your next two games. You beat that team too bad, Levi. What shame on you. You beat that team too bad. And when Blake called me and told me that, you know what I said? I said, no wonder America is in the state that it's in. No wonder that even some of the church is in the state that it's in because we find ourselves fighting the good fight of faith. We take a couple of hits. We get knocked back. And instead of my courage charging full steam ahead, we say, I quit. Look, guys, I am not going to give up because greater is me that is in him. Greater, you know what I'm saying. (laughs) Greater is he that is in me than he that is There you go. You're smarter than I am. So I've got corruption of the king. I've got conviction of Mordecai, the manipulation of Haman, and the courage of Esther. So let's set the stage. Here we go. Esther chapter 2. Now, the first couple of verses, they have some of those really interesting Old Testament words and Old Testament names. So just hang with me, and let's get to the last verse, and we'll really set the context for this. Here we go. Now, there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jair, the son of Shemai, the son of Kish, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, among those taken captive with Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he brought up because she had neither father or mother, And this young woman, who was also known as Esther, and was beautiful. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and her mother died. Now let's look at the context of this. I'm going to go back to the first verse for just a second because I want you to see this. Let's read it again a little slower. Watch watch the chaos begin to unfold. Here we go. Now there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai the son of Shemai, the son of Kish, who had been carried away into exile from Jerusalem. Chaos number one. Here we go. By Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, among those taken captive was Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Chaos number two. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he had brought up because she had neither father or mother, And this young woman was also known as Esther, and she was beautiful. 
And Mordecai had taken her as his own when her father and mother had died. Chaos number three. Look at what's going on, guys. The chaos of the nation of Israel. I've got captivity. I've got corruption. I've got death in the family. I've got a little girl who is now an orphan. I've got this chaotic scheme that's taking place. But what really is taking place? In the natural, there's chaos everywhere. In the supernatural, there's God working behind the scenes to benefit his people. In the natural, man, there's chaos, there's death, there's captivity, there's corruption. But in the supernatural, God's doing everything he can to line up the life of this beautiful little girl. All kinds of chaos, but God working behind the scenes to bring things in order. So what's the theme of the book of Esther? Here we go. God works behind the scenes to arrange events, even secular events, to establish his purpose. God works behind the scenes to establish his purpose and arrange whatever he's got to arrange, even secular events. I love this phrase right here, guys. Here we go. God is sovereign, even when life makes no sense. Mm, You missed a good place to shout. God is sovereign, even when life makes no sense. Now, Pastor Hector and I, we love that word sovereign, don't we? We love that word because it is such a clear description of who God is in your life and my life. That sovereignty of God so clearly describes who God is. Okay, Pastor Ron, then who is God? Number one, if he's sovereign, he is in control. Come on and say amen. He is in control. But also, if he is sovereign, he is also in charge. He's the final verdict. He slams down the gavel on the Supreme Court bench of heaven and decides what is to be decided. He is not only in control, he's in charge. He's the final say in your life and my life. Bad right now, don't worry about it. God's got the final say. Tough right now, don't worry about it. God's got the final word. Adversity right now, don't worry about it. God's got the final thing that he's going to say for you in Jesus' name, building you up and making you whole. You know what? If God is in charge, listen to Pastor Ron now, if God is in charge, I am never, ever, ever, never a victim of my circumstances. I'm not. If God is truly in charge, I am never a victim of my circumstances. Why? Because he has the ability to arrange my circumstances so that my life is benefited. Listen, guys, if I'm a child of God, victim and victorious can never come out of the same mouth. Victim and victorious can never come out of the same mouth. I hope I get this story right. Here's why I'm going to tell you this story. Because if I understand that I am a child of God, therefore a never, I am never a victim of my circumstances, that blows the theology of a lot of these organizations right out of the water. Because that idea that says, well, you owe me because I went through what I went through. 
or I deserve this because of what I've gone through or because of how I was brought up and my background. I am entitled to that. So the whole idea of God being in charge blows their theology right out of the water. We have a young businessman in our church, and I'm, I'm not going to call his name because I didn't get permission to tell this story, but I'm going to tell it anyway. <laughs> and he got a call. He got a call from one of these organizations. And this organization asked the question, have we benefited you, and they were referring particularly to who this man was and, and his background, have we benefited you during this particular time? Am I close so far? Have we benefited you during this particular time and helped you out in your business and given you a little extra push that maybe you needed from us? And I love the response of my man. You know what he said? He said, no, my business is succeeding because of a spirit of excellence. You ain't done nothing for me. My business is succeeding because of kingdom excellence that is being exhibited as we work from day to day to day. So the theme of Esther is God is sovereign even when life makes no sense. So here's the question I've got to ask you. Do I see the purpose or the problem? Do I see the purpose in the problem? You know, I told the people, I'm going to re-preach a little bit real quickly for just a second. I told the people a week ago, Wednesday night, we were talking about James, and I said, you know, a lot of times, unfortunately, we like to look at our problem. We enjoy that. Why, Pastor Ron? Well, it gets us some, some attention. It, it gets us some sympathy. It gives, us, it gives us an excuse. Pastor Ron, there's no way I can do that. You don't know what I'm going through. You're right. I don't know what you're going through, but I know the Spirit of God is within you to overcome. Come on, somebody. Sometimes we like looking at our problem, and so what happens is we find too much time looking at the problem instead of the purpose. Look, I'm not belittling anybody's problem in here today. Say, I love you, Pastor Ron. I'm not belittling anybody's problem in here today. What I'm saying is, am I going to look at the problem or am I going to look at the purpose? Because God's taking you somewhere. And in order to get you there, you got to go through a process. And if I respect the purpose, I'll stay in the process, and I will get to wherever it is God wants to take me. Mm. Mm. If I respect the purpose, I may, not, I may not like what's going on, but if I respect the purpose, I'll stay in the process, and my spiritual destination becomes mine in Jesus' name. So, where am I? Do I see the purpose or the problem? Okay, how do I do that? How? Let's get to the meat of this. How do I find myself operating in character in a day of chaos? How do I do that? Number one, I only have two points. I, I don't think they're pointless. You know, not, you know, you guys know me. Normally, I've got a few points. I only have two today. Here's number one. Here we go. How am I going to walk in character in a day of chaos. Number one, resolve to confront confusion in the face of chaos. How many of you know chaos is confusing? It's got all kinds of stuff at you. So what I need to do is have a resolution. I need to resolve that I'm going to confront the confusion in the face of chaos. Why? Because my God is not a God of confusion. 
He wants order in my life. He wants order in your life. So I'm going to confront that confusion and bring kingdom order to my life. Watch what happens in Esther's life. Here we go. Esther chapter 4, verse 12. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Watch the confusion unfold. He sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. Don't think that. Confusion number one. For if you remain silent at this time, silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. Confusion number two. But you and your father's family will perish. Confusion number three. And who knows, who knows, who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Powerful phrase, but look at how it is uh, prefaced. Who knows? Then Esther, watch how Esther, watch how Esther confronts confusion. Watch how she confronts confusion. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Look at how she confronts confusion. She doesn't confront it by worrying and anxiety and being nervous or going to figure out if she can find Dr. Phil. What she does is go straight to the heart of the matter and says, I'm going to confront this confusion by prayer and fasting. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Look at her confrontation of confusion. First of all, I'm going to fast, and if it means I perish, so be it. I'm going to deal with the confusion of the hour and not walk in a spirit of chaos. I'm going to confront it head on. Now, let me ask you a question. How do I overcome confusion in the midst of chaos? Number one, here we go. Three ways of overcoming confusion. Proximity. Am I close to my safety? Am I close to God's presence? Am I close to the one that's covering me and watching over me by his mighty right hand? Am I close to my place of safety? Am I close to my safe place of safety? He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say to my God that he is my rock and my fortress. In him will I trust. I will dwell in the secret place of the Most High. Am I close to my place of safety? Hey, let me ask you a question, guys. What are you close to? What are you close to right now? What are you close to? Are you close to chaos or character? Are you close to Christ? Or are you close to confusion? What are you close to right now? What am I close to right now? I've got to be close to my place of safety. I've got to be close to that proximity of being in a real, real, real safe place. And look how, look how Esther does it, guys. She does it through a fasting. She goes straight to the heart of the matter and goes to a place of fasting. Matthew chapter 17, Jesus comes on the scene. The disciples have been trying to do something really, really powerful real miraculous, and Jesus comes on the scene because it's not working very well. And the disciples are what? They're confused. And so Jesus comes on the scene and says these words in Matthew 17. 
Some things only come out by prayer and fasting. Why is that, Pastor Ron? Because prayer connects me to God. Fasting disconnects me from the world. Prayer connects me to God, but fasting disconnects me from anything that has an appetite that could be illegitimate for me. Prayer connects me to God. Fasting disconnects me from the world. So let me ask you a question. Am I close to my place of safety? Number two, another way to overcome confusion. Here we go. Power. Am I guarded by God's strength? You know one of the great characteristics I love about God? And we don't talk about it near enough is that God is a God of justice. He literally sits at the Supreme Court bench of heaven and pounds the gavel and demands the final verdict to be spoken. He is a God of justice. And what that means is this. That means that he has the ability to so be fiercely, fiercely determined to protect you and I, watch me now, from anything that has the ability to rob life from you. His justice is fiercely, fiercely aimed at anything that has the potential to rob life from you. Let me illustrate it to you this way. Is my man Louis Acevedo here? Hey, there he is. Everybody give it up for Louis Acevedo. Hey. You know what? Let's do this. Do I have any other GPD officers? Any other police officers in the building? It doesn't matter. We need to do it anyway. Put your hands together and say a big thank you for that thin blue line. Come on. Protecting you every day. Watching over you every day. Taking care of you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But here's what I want you to get. Let's say, for example, my man Louis Acevedo is at a crosswalk, and he is guarding this crosswalk. And all of a sudden, some kids walk across that crosswalk, and some crazy driver like Pastor Ron comes barreling in and is just about to barrel into that crosswalk. He has the justice and the authority to put his hand up and say, stop, you're not going to affect the lives of these kids. How many of you know God does the same thing for you every day? You're walking on your spiritual journey and you hit the crosswalk of life and the devil comes barreling in trying to rob life from you and God raises up his mighty right hand, the hand of justice, and says, stop, you're not going to affect my child. You're not going to affect my child. So there's the power of God's strength. Number three, purpose. Is my mission significant? You know one of the things that chaos has the ability to do it has, listen to me now, it has the ability to cause you and I to question our credibility. Am I really having an effect? Am I really doing what God's called me to do? Am I really, really effective the way God has called me to be effective? Look, guys, your life is too valuable. Your calling is too big. And your God is too awesome to allow yourself to get caught up in things that really don't matter. We've got to understand that in the moment of chaos, that may be when we're the most significant. So here's what I got to get in my mind. The key idea, how close am I to the power and purpose of God? Number two, and I'm almost done. I've got to resolve, I'm sorry, I've got to refocus on opportunity and not the obstacle. In chaos, you're going to see all kinds of obstacles, man. You're going to see all kinds of obstacles. Why is that? Why is that? Let me tell you why. I'm going to re-preach a little bit 
from a Wednesday night about a week ago. One of the great, listen to Pastor Ron now because you need to get this, one of the great attacks of the enemy of the day that we're living in is what Pastor Ron calls the fragmentation of our mind. He wants, you get to, he wants to get you looking at this, and he wants to get you looking at this, and he wants to get you looking at this, and he wants to get you looking at this. Remember what I said a moment ago, all the voices, all the voices. He wants you to get you looking all out here and all these different things and different ideologies and different philosophies and different thoughts, the fragmentation of a mind. Now, why is that such a powerful tool? Listen to me. It is the exact opposite of what God wants to do for you. The enemy wants to divide. God wants to make you whole. The enemy wants to separate. God wants to bring all those pieces together in a spirit of holiness. James said it this way, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. So that instability comes in, but what God wants to do is make you whole, healed and whole. So that double-mindedness has no effect on you. So I want to refocus on opportunity and not the obstacle. Here we go. Let's look at Esther. Esther chapter 5. If it please, I love this, I love this verse right here, especially when we get to the end of it. Watch it. If it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king, together with Haman, come today to a banquet I have prepared for him. Bring Haman at once, the king said, so that we may do what Esther asks. What Esther asks. What Esther asks. So the king and Haman went to the banquet Esther had prepared. As they were drinking wine, the king again asked Esther, now what is your petition? Opportunity, guys. Stay with me. What is your petition? It will be given to you. And what is your request? Even up to half of the kingdom, it will be granted. Here's where my mind goes. When I look at Esther coming before the king, and she's about to make this petition, and she's about to make this request, here's where my mind goes. What was her expectations? Because here's what the Word says, guys. God does exceedingly abundantly more than I could ever ask or think. And if I only want God to meet my expectations, I never give Him the opportunity to exceed them. If I only want Him to meet what I say, come on now, that's a good word right there. If I only give God the opportunity to meet my expectations, I never give Him the opportunity to exceed those expectations. And what does he want to do for you, child of God, that you are who he says you are? What does he want to do for you? He wants to do more. Everybody say more. Say it like you mean it. He wants to do one more time. More than you could ever ask or think. But what I have to understand, and I'm not going to stay here very long because time's getting away, and I don't want to I don't want to dwell on a negative. I don't think it's negative, but I still don't want to stay here real long. What are the enemies of opportunity? God's giving us, in, in a state of chaos, God's giving us opportunities. But what are the enemies of opportunities? Here we go. Number one, 
offense. You insulted me. You know what the Greek word for offense is? It's stumbling block. You're tripping over it. It's really not that big of a deal, but you're, you're, you're tripping over it. You offended me, Pastor Ron. You know, honestly, guys, when somebody comes up and says, you offended me, Pastor Ron, first thing I say is, I'm sorry. Then I say, now the line forms to the right. <laughs> Just get in line, baby. You offended me. I'm, a, I'm insulted. Number two, I made this word up. Enemies of opportunity. What a battery. What a battery. Now, you know what's really fun is I made that word up and I would give anything if I was in the Spanish translation booth right now. The enemy of opportunity. What a battery. What, what about what about what happened to me when I was a child? What about what they did to me? What about how society has treated me? What about my pedigree? What about my background? What about my bloodline? What about my skin tone? What about how my social economic status? What about all those things? What about those things? You are who he says you are. What about all those things, man? You are who he says you are. Number three, bitterness. It's unforgivable. Can I tell a quick story? I'll, I'll be fast, I promise. This time's getting away. When Barbara and I pastored in another place, and I want you to get this because this is important to you and our house. When Barbara and I pastored in another place, there was a, a, a little lady in our house. Her name was Tanya. One of the most anointed, gifted worship leaders I've ever seen in my life. But went through a situation where, I have to be honest, she was mistreated. It was, it was wrong what happened to her. But because of that event, she pulled back. And there was a, if I can say it this way, a spirit of bitterness that she just would not allow God to heal. I can't understand that. Why? I can't explain that. Sorry. She would not allow God to heal her. And I sat down with her, Tanya, and I said, Tanya, let me and Barbara walk through this, walk you through this, this time of healing. Let us walk you through this restoration. Let us walk you through something that will allow God to restore in you a peaceful spirit that you rightfully deserve. And she just wouldn't do it. And you know what breaks my heart? Listen to Pastor Ron. What breaks my heart is she missed out on her opportunity to operate under the anointing of God and exalt the kingdom of God through praise and worship. More importantly, maybe, or maybe just as important, but still the same, an entire church missed out on her ability to lead in praise and worship. An opportunity was missed. Why? Because of bitterness. It's unforgivable. No. One more story. Y'all are messing with me. I went through a situation about four years ago, and I think I've told you this story. I went through a situation about four years ago to where there was nothing, nothing, nothing in me that wanted to forgive. 
I wanted to react. I wanted to get back. I wanted to repay. Nothing in me wanted to forgive. And Barbara and I had multiple, multiple talks about this situation. And finally, driving down Parker Road, (laughs) God spoke to me so clearly. You forgive or you die. Now, I don't think God was going to kill me. Don't misunderstand. But what was going to happen, hear me now, was there was going to be a spiritual death. There, There was going to be a drying up of my soul. And you know what, guys? Four years later, I'm still having to find myself to choose to forgive. But I can honestly stand here in front of you today and say there's no malice, there's no anger, there's no bitterness, there's no desire for retribution. Do I have to get my act together sometimes? Yeah, I got to get my act together sometimes. My redneck comes out. Come on, somebody. (laughs) But God has helped me understand how to forgive. And as a result of that, we can walk. Shouldn't have looked at my wife. We can walk through the goodness of God and the blessing of God. Perfect lives? Nah. Nah. Blessed lives? Oh, yeah. Why? You are who he says you are. Amen? And then lastly, fault finding. What you did. Boy, this one kills a lot of us. This one kills a lot of us. And all these five things that I've given you, or these four things that I've given you, what they do is they put us in a position of determining how our life is being run by outside forces. Here's the problem. Get this. I will never find the will of God when I am playing the role of God. Never going to find the will of God when I'm playing the role of God and I'm determining what you did to me was wrong and I'm making that determination. No, God says, let it go and be healed and whole. Let it go and be healed and whole. Real quickly and I'm done. And this time I mean it. Lessons in character. Here we go. Character and chaos. We're given divine opportunities to alter our circumstances. It may not be easy to see because in the natural, it looks like this. But in the supernatural, it's something else. You're given divine opportunities. Number two, fasting and praying brings clarity and hope. Character and chaos, number three. God can use everything and anybody for his defined purpose. Don't always see that one, do we? That's maybe because we're playing the role of God there. When we get out of our own way, we see it very clearly. Next one, honor when you don't have to. Just be an honorable man or woman of God. And number five, favor always makes the difference. You know what I've come to believe, guys, in that thing right there, in this one word right here? God, listen to me now, God cares about the little things. Man, Barbara and I have had two or three things happen recently that that in the natural, they're so small, but God's favor acted on our behalf and it turned out to be absolutely not just small, it turned out to be nothing. Why? Because of the favor of God. Stand with me.
Bow your heads for just a second. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for this wonderful body of believers. Father, I thank you that we're able to enjoy the presence of God, enjoy each other, enjoy being encouraged by your word, enjoy the, the corporate presence of people, but more importantly, the corporate presence of our God. And Father, right now, in Jesus' name, we understand, but we're not afraid of it. We understand we're living in a chaotic day. And so, Father, what I ask right now is if there is those that are dealing with this chaos through the vein of confusion, bring peace to their spirit. Father, if there's those that are dealing with this chaos and the bitterness keeps rising up, the unforgiveness keeps rising up, bring a revelation of how mighty you are in them as a child of God. And Father, just cause us to be bathed by a blanket of peace in a time of chaos in Jesus' name. Nobody's looking around for just a second. You're here today and you say, Pastor Ron, I am in a time of chaos. And I'll be honest with you, I'm confused. I'm dealing with confusion. I'm dealing with that tossed back and forth. I'm dealing with that double-mindedness. I'm dealing with that being pushed around. I'm dealing with that lack of courage. I'm dealing with chaos inappropriately. I love God. I love Jesus, but I'm dealing with that chaos inappropriately. And I now want to step out in the character of God in the face of chaos. I want to overcome, overcome, overcome every one of those things that's battling me in this moment of chaos. I want to silence the voices. I want to squelch the confusion. I want God to rise up. Let God arise and his enemies be scattered. Let God arise and his enemies be scattered. And if you say, Pastor Ron, that's me today. I'm in chaos, dealing with confusion, dealing with battling, dealing with all the things you talked about or some of those things you talked about. Would you please pray for me for victory? Put your hand up right where you are. Hold it up there just a second. Yes, 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 yes. Hold it up there just a second. Hold it up there just a second. I'm gonna ask Pastor Jamie to come pray. Hold it up there just a second. Thank you, Jesus. It's a step of faith. Just by raising your hands, it's a step of faith. All right, you can put them down if you want. Pastor Jamie, pray over us. Father, we thank you that our confidence is in you. Well, we don't you, look Father. at the things in the natural. Thank you, Father. Even like Pastor Ron's been encouraging us, Father, when it looks chaotic. Thank you, Father. It looks confusing. It's very difficult sometimes for us to see clearly. But Lord, the promise of your word is at the entrance of your word, it brings light and it brings understanding. And so I speak that out right now over everyone who's had a raised hand, Father, everyone who maybe even didn't raise their hand and is dealing with this, Father. I declare at the entrance of the word of God, written and spoken, there is light and there's understanding. Father, because there's light, every dark place is exposed and, Father, darkness is removed from the situation. Father, clarity comes where there has been a lack of clarity. Father, there's certainty where confusion has been. And it doesn't mean that everything becomes easy immediately, but it means that we are certain of your sovereignty. And so we speak that right now and declare that right now. There's a certainty of the sovereignty of God to enter into our situations. Help us, enable us, and strengthen us by your word and by your spirit to overcome and see great fruit in the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, visit therockonline.org.